Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Welcome to yet another Freaky Friday as we enter bank holiday weekend at the end of the summer. Some of you have been able to get away on holiday. Most of you have been unable to work properly. Loads of you have been stuck with the children in the house for months on end. And far too many of you have been working from home for far too long. This morning, I've got some good news for you. Things are beginning to return to normal. Extinction Rebellion are back. That's right. Those ghastly, whining, middle-class doom mongers are returning to our streets this weekend to wreak havoc in our empty cities while issuing dire warnings about the end of the world and the end of the human race. The Guardian is also issuing ridiculous edicts that children in Britain are more unhappy than anyone else in Europe. According to the Children's Society, an organisation that employs hundreds of people, pays absolutely no tax whatsoever and affords its chief executive a six-figure salary. Nice work if you can get it. Guess what? They say Romanian children are happier than children living in this country. Well, if that's the case, why are their parents all moving here? Meanwhile, Donald Trump has accepted the nomination of the Republican Party to lead the USA into four more years from the White House. We'll be talking to Sebastian Gorka, former aide to the president in Washington, D.C. 0344 499 1000. We start off this morning, though, with one of our favourite MPs, Lee Anderson, the man who made headlines the last time he was on by calling for the saintly Gary Lineker to put up a few refugees in his own house. Today, he's explaining why he and a load of other Tory backbenchers are calling on the government to change the law on asylum seekers. Very, very good idea indeed. We're also joined by John Redwood to talk about the working from home conundrum. As ever, the rest of the media is catching up with what we've been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks. 0344 499 1000. Meanwhile, no Martin Malagon this week means no Perry Rewards until next week. But we will be asking why smart speakers don't actually understand regional accents and why they're now going to be updated to include such phrases as watcher, moggy cake and scuffler. Whatever that means. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the home of common sense. We've been playing Rule Britannia. We've been playing uh, the land of hope and glory all week. We will continue to do so uh, throughout the course of this week. But just before we get going, I do want to read to you uh, this story from the Children's Society. Children in the UK have the lowest levels of life satisfaction across Europe with a particularly British fear of failure, partly to blame, according to a major report into childhood happiness, more than a third of UK 15-year-olds scored low on life satisfaction according to the Children's Society, which, of course, is published, where else but The Guardian? I'm very sorry, uh, guys at The Guardian, but I'm afraid we're going to start Friday uh, with a little bit of Guardian action, ripping it up, because it is still, and worse still, the worst newspaper in the entire world. Okay, get rid of it. Get rid of the story. People in Britain are very happy, thanks very much indeed. They're certainly not the unhappiest in Europe. Let's talk to Lee Anderson, who's a man uh, who's Conservative MP for Ashfield, of course, a man who has called in the past uh, for the migrant crisis to be sorted. He's now joined a group of MPs who call themselves the uh, MPs of the Common Sense Group. Basically, 42 MPs and six peers. Their objective is to amplify the deep concerns of the people we stand for regarding the scale and nature of immigration. Um, Very, very good morning to you, Lee. Welcome back. 
Good morning, Mike, and thank you once again uh, in having me on to the home of common sense. Yes, very much so. Um, I've been I've been watching with interest uh, the the reaction from the last time you were on, uh, where Gary Lineker not only kind of took you up on your challenge, but said, "Oh yes, I will be uh, bringing a refugee into my home to live with me under my roof." It's all gone a bit quiet on that front. I don't know if he's actually done it yet. It's gone very quiet, Mark. He's been very quiet. I'm not seeing his tweets. I've come off of Twitter, actually. It's a bit of a cesspit at the moment. Oh, it's, but, it's always I'm been sure, a cesspit. I'm sure that once he does get uh, his refugee, that he will be parading it all over the press, all over Twitter, all over Facebook, and all in the media to say, look what I've done. Yes. Now, we've been talking to Nigel Farage over the last couple of weeks as well. Um, he alone uh, has been very good in highlighting some of the problems that we face. But I've got your letter here in front of me, and it's very thorough. Uh, it's very interesting. Tell us briefly a bit about what it is that you're looking for the, the government to do. Well, let's, let's just have some clarity first, Mike. Um, we are a tolerant and welcoming nation with a history of taking genuine refugees from all over the world, mm. many of whom have made a fantastic contribution towards our society. Now, back in the 1980s, when I went to work down the pits in Nottinghamshire, I worked with the sons and grandsons of men who had arrived here just after the war. These were displaced people. People had no home, nowhere to go. No one wanted them. Imagine that. Yeah. And so we put these men in. They worked hard. They grafted. They raised families. They put their roots down, knowing full well um, the place they had come from. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of what we did all those years ago. But fast forward 75 years, and we still have displaced people all around the world that need our help. Uh, but they're not getting the same level of assistance because we've got these vile human traffickers sending illegal immigrants over the channel to claim asylum. And then, of course, once they get here, we've got the greedy lawyers who get their hooked into these people and delay and delay and delay and make it very difficult to send these illegal migrants back. And we've seen just in this morning's papers, Lee, um, stories of a plane that was due to take off to Spain yesterday, uh, which I think included 23 migrants who were being removed from the country at the orders of the Home Office and a pretty Patel specifically. The plane never left the ground because of these lawyers and these kind of last minute applications to remain here. Well, exactly right. I mean, I know Pretty is absolutely furious. I'm furious. The people in Ashfield are furious and probably the vast majority of people in this country are furious about this. You know, our asylum system is obviously being abused uh, and none so more than with the, the greedy lawyers who, you know, drive about in the big flash cars, live, live in their big houses, raking in hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, taking advantage of this system. This system needs to be changed. And if we have got empty aeroplanes on the tarmac at this moment where illegal immigrants should have been on there, let's put some of these lawyers on the plane and send them back to a safe country. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, your letter states the United Kingdom's asylum system is unfit for purpose. And I think a lot of people, Lee, agree with you that, yes, of course, we have to help people who are desperate. But most of these people coming do not qualify for refugee status, even under the rules uh, dictated by the United Nations. Absolutely right, Mike. I mean, we need new legislation introduced into Parliament as soon as possible. We need a new bill that supersedes all this old case law, all these get-out clauses which the lawyers use. And things I want to see, like the letter says, is a strict time limit on the application. You know, when illegal migrants come and claim and claim asylum, they should be accommodated by the Home Office and supervised uh, by the Home Office to make sure that once they leave, they never return. And it also stops bogus claims as well. Right. And also, Mike, no claims uh, should be accepted in this country if the illegal immigrant or alleged uh, asylum seeker has passed through a same country. Mm. We need to stop this. We need to admit there is a massive problem in this country and stop messing about and say, you know what, these people have come through six or seven safe countries and we've got the Liberal left, we've got the Labour Party saying they will be persecuted if we send them back. Well, I'm sorry, if we send them back to France or Spain or Belgium or wherever they've come from, they should not be persecuted. No, and there's no reason to believe that they actually would be persecuted. And isn't it amusing as well that these are the same people, basically, Lee, who tell us that we live in a racist country, that we live in a very intolerant place where people have a terrible time if they're from a black and ethnic minority background. Whereas we've got thousands and thousands of people coming here from all over the world, thousands and thousands of miles risking their lives because it's such a tolerant country. 
this is what I don't get, Mike. Yeah, we, we, we're called racists. Um, some of us are called fat racists. Yeah. Um, yes, I am fat. Yes, yeah, so Neil, Neil not- Coyle has got a bit of history for getting into getting himself into trouble on social media. He's very foul-mouthed. Unfortunately for me, he happens to be my MP. Well, funny you say that, Mike, because actually I've written to uh, Neil Coyle yesterday. I've invited him up to Ashfield to meet some of, some of the old miners that I used to work with down the pits, to meet us in a working club yeah. and explain to us... A lot of us ex-Labour voters, lifetime Labour voters, explained to us what he meant by that statement. Yeah. And I'm sure he will get a very vigorous response <laughs> uh, from some of my ex-mine workers in the Working Men's Club. Yes. So come on, Neil. Put your money where your mouth is. Yep. Come up to Ashfield. Let's have a go. Come on, Neil. Come on. You've got to do that now. We may have to get in touch with him and pass on your felicitations. But I'm also interested in some of the uh, statistics in your letter where you talk about the number uh, of uh, people who were granted asylum in the UK uh, back in 2018 alone. 15,891 yep. people. Japan, by, by comparison, also a signatory to the Refugee Convention, approved just 82 applications. Well, then figures alone, uh, Mike, prove that we are a tolerant and welcoming nation. We do take our fair share. We are a country that cares. And I'm incredibly proud of our country and its history in taking refugees, you know, for the last 100 years or so. So when people say to us we are a racist, intolerant company, I say that's a load of rubbish. We do our bit. We absolutely do our bit. And as far as you're aware, Lee, and I know that this will be an issue for lawyers, I suppose, but what sort of uh, success can you get from uh, the lawmakers of this country? Can they change this law and how soon can they do it? Well, I would like to see, hopefully I shall be banging on some doors next week with the Common Sense Group, obviously. I want to see a new bill uh, debated in Parliament this year. We have to do this as soon as possible because... You know what, Mike? We can send the boats back. We can do the Australia thing. But, you know, the channel is only 20 miles uh, from France to England. It's very, very difficult to do that. What we need is a change in the law. So when people pass through a safe country and get here, we say, you know what? You've just been to France. You're going to have to go back there. Yes. Because what's interesting as well about the uh, the crossings is that they've stopped uh, since the weather's got a bit more difficult, yes. since the wind sort of got up and, and, the, and the channel got a bit more choppy. It's, uh, you know, the, 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 the crossings actually ended so, because it's so easy to come when it's calm um, that it's almost like a sort of a conveyor belt, isn't it? Well, that's right. You know, it's, it's, it's ironic, isn't it, that the only thing that's stopping this, this uh, vile trade at the moment is, is the weather. And mm. the weather's not going to get better from now until next year. So this is the perfect time to try and get a bill introduced to Parliament to uh, actually scupper these greedy, these greedy lawyers and make an absolute killing on people's misery. Like I say, Mike, if people come to this country uh, and they've passed through several safe countries, I'll keep making this point. If they've passed through several safe countries, then they have no genuine right to claim asylum in the UK. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And also, should we not be getting better either now just within ourselves or internationally uh, in apprehending the actual people traffickers themselves? Because I don't know whether you heard uh, a caller that we had uh, last week, I think it was, from the Isle of Man. He's got a daughter that lives in Sudan. She says um, is that she's working in a Christian sort of refugee camp, that these asylum seekers are now being basically recruited by these human traffickers who are showing up in Sudan and giving them phones and saying, do you want to go live in Britain? And then basically yeah. taking everything they can take off them there and then kind of making them sign up to a life of effective slavery when they get here. Well, this is the thing, Mark, isn't it? They're not genuine refugee um, seekers. No. They are being exploited by, like I say, these, these, these traffickers who go to these villages in Africa. We know this happens and they're making an absolute killing. And these, these poor people, when they do actually get here, um, and they think our streets are paved with gold, but where do they end up? I'll tell you where they end up. They end up in places like Leicester, mm-hmm. working in sweatshops for about two quid an hour. Yeah. And what a life that is. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah. We need to cut the head off the snake. We absolutely do. And as far as the, um, uh, the, the government's kind of um, tabling of motions and that kind of thing, are you able to get uh, this put forward? Will it, be, will it be introduced as a private member's bill? How do you see it happening? Well, well, I hope so. I'm meeting again with the Common Sense Group next week to discuss the way forward. Hopefully, I will get um, a bit of a say in the chamber next week. So please look out for that, Mike. I'm hoping to to get my ten penneth worth in. Yeah. So I would hope it's, it's got to be it's got to be this year. This is a priority. We need to get this sorted. We promised our voters we'd sort out immigration. We promised our voters that we'd sort out our borders. 
we need to do it now. Because there's no question, I'm hearing it a lot from, from, from our listeners here, Lee, um, that people put a lot of faith in Boris Johnson. One of the things they believed he would do was to sort out illegal immigration in this country, and he really does need to get to grips with that. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, this time last year, Mark, I was just an ordinary man on the street. I wasn't an MP. Uh, but I, I, came, I came to Parliament with, uh, with lots of ideas and lots of thoughts. Uh, and my ideas and ideology hasn't changed, but my understanding of our Parliament uh, and how the system uh, has actually changed. It's very, very slow, like I said last time. Mm. But you know what? There is a will in Parliament with the Common Sense Group, and, and there's definitely a will in the country. We have to deliver on this. And I'm absolutely confident in Pretty. We have to back her. We'll get this sorted. Yeah, and a lot of people were very encouraged by your last appearance on this show, Lee. They said, how have you never heard of this guy before? You've just explained that you're a new MP. Uh, it might not be the first job you've had in uh, in your life. But listen, uh, people are loving your enthusiasm. I think they're loving uh, that you're wanting to do things that the people voted you in to do. Um, and I think also people will like seeing that Parliament's back next week because we've got this big ongoing kind of national debate about working from home. Uh, and I personally think we need to get back into the cities of this country. We need to get out of this idea that working from home is great because you get to spend more time with your family you know we need to support the economy and i think people seeing mps back at work will help exactly right mark we have to lead by example and just before we we uh, broke up for recess it was evident in london that the the city is actually it's on its knees at the moment nobody's going out nobody's going to work no, everybody's working from home the cafes the bars the restaurants are all struggling we need to get back we need to get back to some sort of normality we need to get the country going again and we need to get that confidence so people go out there, spend a few quid. And you know what, mate? We've had enough of this this uh, pandemic now. Yeah. We really stick to the back teeth of it. Let's get back to doing what we do do best in this country. I think and that's I think that's absolutely right. I mean, obviously, I can't speak for much of the country apart from what I hear from people that ring me. But what's Nottingham like at the moment? How is that sort of uh, responding to uh, to the COVID problem? Well, I've not been into Nottingham since uh, the pandemic started, but I can tell you in my own town in, in Ashfield that the uh, the high streets are, are starting to get back to some sort of normality. And actually, I think the cities have probably struggled more than the towns and villages because yeah. people tend to stay at home. They're working from home and the little shopper on the street corner is actually doing a little bit better. So that's good for them. But you know what? We need to get back to normal. Uh, we need to stop being scared to go out. We need to be careful. We need to be respectful of this, this awful this awful pandemic, but at the same time, we cannot stay hid in our houses forever. Yeah, absolutely right. Lee, I wish you great big uh, pieces of luck next week. Do keep in touch with us. Thanks very much again for joining us. Lee Anderson, Conservative MP for Ashfield, uh, a man that knows a thing or two about why he was elected, a man who knows a thing or two about what the public expects of him and the electorate expects of him. He's a great man. He's issued another um, challenge out there to Neil Coyle, uh, who's the Labour MP who basically slagged off everybody who voted for Brexit, called them fat racists, effectively, uh, and then apologised for it and said that, you know, the Tuesday tweet that I sent out fell below the normal high standards that I ask of myself. I mean, it was almost as if he was kind of interviewing himself uh, and he's a dual personality uh, where one night uh, he decides to slag everybody off and then two days later, because someone told him to, he apologises for doing so. Well, that's the Labour Party in and out. That is the Labour Party through and through. That is the Labour Party's hypocrisy. They think that anyone who wants to disagree with them about leaving the European Union is a fat racist. That's great, isn't it? Well done, Neil Coyle. Uh, well, you've been given an opportunity now to set the record straight. You've been given an opportunity by Lee Anderson to go up to Nottinghamshire to talk to some working class, real working class people, not the ones that you encounter, you know, in the sort of the library at the House of Commons. Proper working class people who used to go down the mines, who used to actually have manual jobs, who used to vote for the Labour Party, but who now have no intention of ever voting for the Labour Party again. He's also said that Gary Lineker, uh, to whom he issued a previous challenge, that maybe he would like to actually look after one or two refugees. Gary Lineker said he would. He said he was bringing a refugee into his home. I don't know what's happened about that. I haven't heard. Have you? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. I don't think we've had uh, Rule Britannia yet, have we? Should we have a bit of Rule Britannia? Let's see if we can organise it.
the extremely patriotic uh, Dave Chawner will be jumping up and down, standing to attention as we speak, just before uh, he tells me about why Alexa can't recognise any regional accents. Dave, very good morning to you. Good morning to you, Mike. I love how needless that was. That's incredible. Isn't you it? You'll probably have to pay a PRS uh, fee for just playing that music. Listen, I don't mind paying for it, mate. Uh, I'm very happy to keep continuing to support our great nation uh, with some beautiful songs, especially if it winds people like you up. <laughs> well, it's like, look, it's not hard to wind the left up, is it? It you really isn't. I mean? It really isn't. I mean, it's so it's so easy, right? It's absolutely fantastic. I've got a tweet here from a bloke called Paul on Twitter who says, Mike seems to suffer a bout of delusion at least several times a day. Mike, just because you believe something that doesn't make it true, get over yourself. Uh, this is on the account of the Children's Society report, uh, which rather ridiculously in The Guardian today suggests that people in Britain, children in Britain, are the unhappiest children in Europe. Oh, I mean, that, that's quite sad. All I want to say, all I want to say to you, Mike, yes. is I want to square this up. We're not all bad on the left and we can take a joke. Yes. Well, you can. I don't think I can count anybody else on the left who can take a joke. You know, but you're, <laughs> well, you're very welcome to, to this show. You're always um, a good sport. We'd like to have you on Plank of the Week. We'll have to get you on again. You know, I think I've got you down for uh, two or three weeks from now. So, so keep your Tuesdays free. But let's talk about regional accents because... I don't actually know where your accent's from. It sounds like it's got a tinge of the West Country going on, uh, but I'm not entirely certain. It's, it's, yeah, it's a very good point. It's actually not. It's actually from the Midlands, which is, is home to empirically the worst accent of all time. My mum is from the Black Country, which yeah. is not as racist as it sounds. And I think Are you allowed to call is... it that anymore? Yeah. <laughs> you have to change the name of it. There's a brilliant, there's a brilliant stand-up called uh, Darren Harriet who won the Perio last year, and he he is uh, of colour, and he sort of talks about you know he comes to the black country and people think it's really racist, and he says whenever I say that, <laughs> I always have to like follow it up and go no no no, uh, people like uh, me and Lenny Henry have come from there, which makes it a lot lot worse. Yes. But- it is. It's the, I think the black country is the worst accent in the world. It sounds like someone's having a live lobotomy while you're talking. Yeah, but you've somehow altered it, though, and, and changed it into something else, because I would never have thought you were from the Midlands. I'm usually quite good at, f- at figuring out accents. You definitely sound as if you're more Taunton um, than Tewkesbury. I think that's like I've changed my accent so that people expect less of me. You know, I think... <laughs> If you have an RP accent, people expect you to know stuff. But if you can kind of dumb it down a bit, the expectations go. It is true, actually. I mean, I've had lots of uh, interaction on Twitter this morning from people in various different parts of Britain saying, well, of course, this is the best accent or that's the best accent. Geordie seem particularly proud uh, of the way that they speak, even though an awful lot of people can't understand a word they're saying. I, well, it's really interesting. I saw that tweet as well. I actually once got made redundant by a woman who was Geordie, and I didn't even care that I got made redundant. I was like, just carry on talking. I love it. <laughs> the best moment of my life. Yeah, absolutely right. But here's the thing. According to um, uh, those who know about this stuff, Amazon's voice assistant, Alexa, apparently has had a problem in the past with recognising different accents. So I suppose my kind of, you know, rather nondescript Southeast English accent is what it's determined for. And so I can always be understood by it. But it always reminds me of that. I don't know if you've seen, there's a great piece of uh, film footage of uh, two Scottish comedians in a lift. And it's one of those lifts where you speak to it to tell it where to go, right? Um, and they, they, every time they say, you know, we're going to the 13th floor and the lift doesn't understand them. And they're literally stuck in this lift where they can't make it go anywhere because they because the lift doesn't know what they're talking about. Well, I know very I know very well this Alexa <laughs> thing because my girlfriend is from Northern Ireland. Mm. And slight little story about this I absolutely love. She was this is honestly a true story as well. She was once picking up her prescription and they said, What's your date of birth? Then she went, Thirty first and me, idiot. And the woman was like, <laughs> What? What? And she went, idiot. And the woman was like, madam, there is no need to be rude. And she was really, like, confused. <laughs> she was like, idiot. And right. the woman was like, madam, please stop calling me an idiot. Right. Which was one of the best moments of my life. Yeah, mother of my children actually spent about five years in Scotland and couldn't understand anything anyone was saying for five years. She only told me this once we moved back south. I remember, I went to Edinburgh Castle with my mum and dad and they're sort of like, you know, it's like, like, you know, it's like, you know, like, that, like that. And they just no sense whatsoever. And then we would talk back to them and they're like, it's a weird, weird accent. I can't understand. So no one could understand each other. And I think that's yeah. what is 
exactly what Alexa is dealing with at the moment. I mean, it's very interesting because I obviously spent some time in America and, and we're talking about Donald Trump this morning because of the, uh, the speech last night. And you can go for thousands of miles in America and everybody sounds the same. And I think they find it really weird when they come here um, to discover that you can literally go 10 miles down the road and people are talking complete gibberish and using words that you didn't even know existed. I mean, I'm looking at these words in the Telegraph today. Um, Keech, um, tripe, I suppose I know. Um, I don't know what on earth a moggy cake is or a scuffler. I've no idea. Just don't know. I think this is the thing, right? This is the sort of, you talked about patriotism at the start of the show. This is the exact sort of patriotism I can get on board with. For such a teeny tiny island in the relative scheme of things, the amount of diversity of accents that we've got and the amount of beautiful little words. Scundered, that's another Northern Irish thing. Is it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, they've got so, hey, here's another one. Where would you, what would you think the poke man is? The poke man, I've no idea. Somebody that brings, uh, I don't know, coal. Very good guess. It's actually an ice cream man. Oh, is it? I did, I used to, years ago, I used to do a quiz and basically I'd just take Northern Irishisms and just show people that they didn't know anything about what they were and tried to unrattle that. And I think that's brilliant that we have such a diversity of accents. But getting my Northern Irish girlfriend to try and use Alexa, she'll sort of say, like, Alexa, play, you know, relaxing Munich. And Alexa will turn around and go, booking flights to Munich. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm not keen on these Alexas, to be honest. I know you can listen to talk radio through them, and lots of people do. Um, but I have—I don't feel at all comfortable talking to an in- inanimate object and getting it to do things. Why would you? Well, that's exactly how my girlfriend feels, which is why our relationship is on the rocks. But I, I think it is one I'm of I'm sure there's lots of other reasons why your relationship's on the rocks, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't got time for that now, Mark. No, you know, no, of course not. It's a family-friendly show. Yes, of course. But- I do find them odd that they sit in the corner of your room and you have to shout at them. They will get things wrong. I've got to be honest, I'm not a massive fan myself, but I I do love that it gives rise to conversations like this. Yeah. So, I mean, when you do comedy, and I mean, if you can remember back to the dim and distant past and you actually did comedy in person in clubs around the country, do you have to kind of adopt a, a different persona or do you use words that they would understand rather than using words that they don't understand. It's really interesting because I think people pick up on that kind of inauthenticity of if you try and play to be one of them, if you're absolutely not. It's it's kind of like seeing a geography teacher use the word cool, you know, mm. it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. But I, so I think it's always really important to like try and be yourself. But I just love the one thing that, again, I think that's brilliant about this country is up and down the country no matter where you go there is always a local town that you can use as a reference for something that is absolutely rubbish yes well i know when i spent time in wales um there was a kind of a a derogatory term which i'm not going to say on the radio because it might be against the rules uh that they would refer to people who were slightly considered backward and depending on where you were in wales it was always about 10 miles north was where it started so if you're in cardiff you know you get about 10 miles further north that's where they started if you got up to sort of the brecon beacons it was about 10 miles north of there and snowdonia then it was a bit further up north you know so everybody's got the same view of everybody else but it never happens where they are it's always somewhere else Absolutely. Well, I used to live in Southampton and Southampton people hated Portsmouth. Yes. And then within Southampton, the north of Southampton hated the Docklands. And then the Docklands. <laughs> it's, it's, a very Brit- it's a very British thing, hatred, isn't it? Oh, oh, absolutely. And I don't I don't think that we get r- rid of it. I think that is fantastic. I think we celebrate hatred. Yeah. That you- people. Yeah, but all these kind of chin strokers are always going, oh, why does everybody hate each other so much? Well, that's our national pastimes hatred, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's why the, the like uh, comedy series like The Office does so well. So it's essentially yeah. people. I mean, people hate- people from the north don't like people from the south. They're always slagging us off, going, you know, the soft southerners, look at the state of them, you know, complaining about a bit of snow. And we don't like northerners because, you know, we make out that they're all thick um, and stupid. But of course, none, none of those things is true. But I'll tell you what I find really weird. I don't know if you saw the way that they wrote this piece in the Telegraph. Um, but they, they, their, their first paragraph talks about what Alexa would think of you saying you had a cheese log in your scuffler. Uh, now, I mean, when I first saw that, I thought that, that could mean almost anything. Apparently what it means is uh, that you've got a bread roll with a woodlouse in it. I mean, who comes up with this stuff? I mean, when was the last time you had a bread roll with a woodlouse in it? <laughs> That's so niche. I it's don't ridiculous. Think this is a big problem, you know? No. I think 
there's bigger and it, my advice if anyone said to me i've got a cheese cob in my scuffler i'd say look go to a doctor yeah really absolutely can yeah. you get that removed somehow uh, <laughs> but electronically or something well listen dave it's been a delight talking to you i think yeah. you've cheered everybody up because you know in these dark difficult times you know nobody knows when to laugh and what to laugh at so thank you very much indeed dave chawner there uh, talking about alexa uh, not understanding various different regional voices and regional accents we of course here at the independent republic welcome all regional accents we love everybody hatred may be the national sport but not here we don't hate anybody we love everyone life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, John Ridwood's a man who knows a thing or two about running the country. He's been involved in running the country many times in the past. He's now still uh, a Conservative MP. He tweeted this the other day, or sorry, I should say earlier today. Those who tell others not to work from home should first make sure they are in the office five days a week. What matters is getting the work done well. John, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. I I take the sentiment of what you say, uh, and of course it makes a great deal of sense, but I wonder whether all the people who are working from home and who say that they're uh, equally as efficient or possibly even more productive uh, are kidding themselves. Well, I think you have to ask yourself why it is that lots of people are now offering this leadership by word of mouth, Mm. saying everybody should return to the office, but their organisations are not doing so. Uh, and I think if you press them on that, why aren't they doing it themselves? They say, well, because other people aren't there. And then if you say, well, why don't you get other people to go? Because these are often the bosses. Mm. They say, well, it's not as easy as that. Right. And, I think there, and there are quite a lot of people working extremely hard at home and probably doing longer hours uh, to show that they are really committed. And so it's not a question of getting them back to work. It's a question of where is it best for them yeah. to work? Yeah, but you see, I differ- many, many people are saying, well, you know what? I Yes, I do want to see colleagues and want to go into the office and be in touch with them from time to time, but I don't know whether I want to do that five days a week. I think there's a big rethink going on here, which has to be handled very carefully. As you say, if nobody goes into the centre of cities, we've got dead cities. Yes, exactly. But that's also about rebuilding the events. It's about the tourists. Uh, London is dead mm. in part because of social controls for the virus, uh, which means that all the people who normally go into London to enjoy themselves, to have a meal out, to go to a show, to travel, to see the sights, are not able to do so. No, that's right. And I think the problem for the city is basically that it's not designed to be left empty. I mean, I get people on social media all the time saying, well, you know, don't worry if it turns out that Canary Wharf is never going to be repopulated uh, because people don't want to go back to work. Just make all the buildings into into residential apartments. And you go, well, that's all very well for you to say, but who's going to pay for that? And they go, oh, there's lots of people who need social housing. Yeah, well, sorry, you know, this is not communist Russia. We can't just suddenly decide to redeploy large buildings full of offices, make them into free apartments and give them to people who can't afford to live there. No, and that is why it's a very difficult balance 
and if you go to one extreme or the other, you probably won't get your way, and it might make things a lot worse. Mm. As you rightly say, if none of these offices are going to be used again as offices, you've got a financial disaster on your hands as, as well as a physical disaster mm. in terms of um, the city businesses that cluster around them. Um, but if you go to the other extreme and force everybody back, you could have a virus problem on your hands, you could have a lot of very unhappy people who actually want to work well, but they think it's perfectly reasonable to work flexibly, and they've just demonstrated they can do so. But isn't the so other we, problem... We do need exactly your kind of conversation. Yeah. We've got to think it through as a society and decide what is the new balance mm. so that we have working cities, but we also meet some of the aspirations of the workforce. Yes, absolutely. Saying, oh, well, I'm more efficient now. I don't have to pay money to commute to London. I don't have to... Or to another major city. I don't have to waste all that time on a train that doesn't turn up. Um, maybe there's some advantages in not always going into the office. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I worry as well, John, that we're going to create a sort of two-tier society. We're going to create a society of people who can do everything that they do in the office from home because they can do it all on a laptop. But the people yep. who actually physically have to go and clean offices, who have to go and make sandwiches, who have to go and serve in restaurants or work in shops or actually physically drive a bus are, you know, inevitably the, the, the lower earning part of the society in which we live. And so we're kind of we're kind of creating, if you like, um, a sort of a fake society in some ways. Well, again, that would not be a good look either. But but some of the people who have to go out and about to do their jobs will also be high earning people. Because if, if you want to be a high earning pop star or footballer or whatever, mm. you've got to play to crowds, haven't yeah. you? So. So it's well, if you can find some, again. you can. But, I mean, not at the moment, yeah, well, I suppose. I'm, I'm talking now about when, when we've got some more normality about yes. live events and, and entertainment and mm. so forth. Because you and, can't have a big city without those. And I think we do have to assume right. that one way or another, uh, we have good enough drugs to control the effects of the virus or we have a vaccine to actually stop the virus so that it is possible to have, have a normal city life for all the things that make cities great and entertaining and mean that people want to go yeah. for a weekend to London or, or to Manchester or to Birmingham. Well, I mean, you raise a very good point. I mean, if you could take somewhere like the O2, for example, a place where I've been for several events, you know, pop concerts, whatever, you know, there's hundreds of people working there and all of them are currently not working. So they're either on yeah. furlough because we're paying for them not to work uh, or they've been made unemployed. No, that's right. And, and it's a very cruel world, as you say, where... A lot of us have work where we can do it from home, so you can run a radio show from home or you can be an MP from your home in your local area. Um, but if your job is being a waiter in, in a restaurant or a bar in, in the centre of a big city, um, you're out of work if none of this life right. returns. Exactly. And, and, I, and, and I think the other thing about people saying how much they enjoy working from home, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? I mean, it's a bit like the people coming across in boats from France on, on the illegal dinghies. You know, they're coming here because they want a better life. You can't blame them for doing it. It doesn't make it right. In the same way that if somebody's sitting at home saying, oh, I really like being at home because I can spend more time with my children, I don't have to cr crawl onto a very crowded train and commute for two hours of the day. Well, you can't blame them for wanting to work from home. But as Richard Littlejohn says in his column this morning, you know, there is a kind of societal and community responsibility that we should all share, surely, uh, which means that we have to be collegiate about this. Yes, there's got to be a, a big social conversation, which you're helping conduct, and we've got to reach a, a new balance or consensus. Because it's always been the case that the people at the top with power and privilege have come into the offices when it suits them, but they, everybody knows they have the flexibility to have the Friday off if it matters to them. Mm. Um, so there's always been that kind of petty injustice in, in the whole thing, which, which comes with power and good salaries and whatnot. And it's also the case that the people with the best salaries and the best jobs tend to have the nicest houses. So it's much less of a penalty for them to, to be working from home and they've got the spare room or the study or whatever it is that they need, uh, which a lot of people don't have. Right. I mean, you've um, worked so in ministries. Take that all into account. Yeah. But as I say, it's about having having a new balance. It's about meeting the reasonable aspirations of people, but also restoring um, proper office discipline where that has got a bit lax in some cases. And it's about um, having a balance so that there are city jobs again to help and service those people who come into the yeah. city to work as well as to play. I mean, a lot of people are telling me that they'd like to go back to work, but their companies are saying they don't want them back for one reason or another. Sometimes it's, it's partly because they don't want uh, to risk any kind of insurance claims if people get sick, possibly. Also, they don't necessarily want to COVID-proof their offices. Um, 
But, you know, certainly a lot of big banks seem to be leaders here uh, who are telling maybe like 5% of their of their workforce to come back in. 95% of them may never come back. No, and part of that is for the good reason that there are guidelines or even rules and health and safety laws affecting what a COVID-compliant office has to look like. And the answer is probably that such an office can't take anything like the same number of people uh, that were working in it um, last February. Yeah. I mean, uh, and so that is a constraint all the time. We we don't have a better answer to the virus. Yeah. But is, are we not still now, John, though, at a point where we can take a slightly different tack, where we can look at the numbers, look at the figures, look at the science, as we keep being told the government is doing, and see that actually the, the, the virus has all but disappeared from large parts of the country, certainly uh, the southeast of, of the country. And I think it was 91% uh, that I saw the other day of, um, of areas of, of England have been COVID-free for over a month. Yes, and that's great news. And I think the government's approach is... Uh, progressive and gentle relaxation of rules, um, watching the numbers very carefully. Why, why don't they take all the rules off immediately? Well, because they think if they did, we'd get big flare-ups again, as we've seen in some continental countries and uh, wider field around the world. Yeah, so we have, yeah, but many of those flare-ups have not resulted necessarily in any further hospital admissions or any further deaths. And so I wonder whether we should be talking to the government and saying, look... You know, we need to learn how to live with this rather than learn how to try and keep avoiding it. Well, I've been one of those leading that argument mm. for a long time, saying that uh, I want to relax as much as possible and I want to find ways around this so that we, we can work uh, in a more normal way. And mm. so, yes, I'm, I'm on your side for doing that. And I'm always urging the government to um, relax a bit more. I'm also much in favour of people and companies having greater freedom to make their own choices on all this thing, which yes. is why... I think it's quite difficult for one person to stand up and say, you will all go back to work in your offices tomorrow. It, it, it depends. It depends on what the company wants, what the, what the workforce wants, what is best for the business, what is best for them. And I think a lot of employers now wish to be good employers. And so they will listen to their workforces. Mm. They, they need to recruit and retain really good talent. And if the really good talent says, actually, I, I think working one day a week, or two days a week at home, makes me more productive and it's what I want to do, they may well say, yes, well, well we agree with that. Yeah, right. And what do you, what I mean, about... all MPs ought to understand this because most MPs like me spend quite a lot of time working from home. Yes, exactly right. And what about the civil service? Because we hear a lot about uh, how little... Uh, numbers of civil servants are actually back in Whitehall, back in offices uh, up and down the country in various places where where they have uh, big buildings and and empty offices. Should the government be perhaps encouraging civil servants back to work to show some kind of leadership? Well, I think exactly right. Those ministers who are strongest in saying, let's get people back to the office, the first question they've got to answer is, well, can you do it for your own staff? Um, So I think it would be a very good idea for them to have constructive talks with the representatives of their employees and look at the pluses and minuses of home working that they've developed in in recent weeks and um, look at how it would be better to get more people into the office and how that would actually be organised. But then they will come up against these issues we've been talking about. It won't be 100% turning up on Monday because somebody says so. Because uh, you've got to do all those bits of work on the air conditioning systems and the spacing mm. of the desks and the, the cleaning and the facilities and all the rest of it. Right. So, because we're um, seeing it, aren't we, with the schools? We're, we're seeing some. We're seeing some of the teaching unions, in my view, uh, kind of looking for obstacles as to why they can't go back, rather than looking for why they can. Well, I hope that's not true, and and I think the government was right to make the first big return the schools because all the evidence shows that uh, children are mercifully spared most of this virus or its bad effects Uh, and that everybody I think agrees that children need the social development and the direct instruction of teachers in, in a school environment and so I'm very pleased the government is pressing hard and I think that should be the big achievement of September. Yes. And then you may find that more people working from home say, well, now my children are settled back at school. Actually, yes, I should go into the office more often. Yes. And I think we are beginning to move in that direction because inevitably we can't carry on like this forever. And presumably there's a point at which there's a tipping point, as there always is with these conversations, where, you know, if things go like this for too long, there won't be any way to get 
businesses back because you know the barbers the people who uh, uh you know the dry cleaners the the people who normally would be the ancillary services to everyone coming in and out of london bridge station for example which is where we are which is completely deserted you know there's loads of shops which are now just not they opened up when they could but now they've closed again because there's no business Yes, and I, I'm deeply sympathetic. I don't have an easy answer. Nobody mm. does. That's why they are where they are. And uh, until you can solve these bigger issues of having safe environments that people want to turn up at or their employers say it's a condition of employment that you do turn up at it, we're going to have a big shortfall of demand in the cities. Yeah. And I go back to the other point that it isn't just the office workers that create all this demand. I mean, they're important at lunchtime. Uh, but these businesses are desperately missing um, the tourists and, and the people from Britain who formerly took breaks in the big cities and went to events in the big cities. Yes, exactly right. Because I know a lot of restaurateurs, for example, are refusing to open their restaurants in the West End because there simply isn't enough footfall. You know, funnily enough, in this area, it's not too bad. But places like mm. Canary Wharf, which are very dependent on office workers, completely deserted, yep. completely empty. Um, and, and places anywhere, if you go anywhere into sort of Mayfair or Regent Street or anything like that, even Covent Garden, because the theatres are all closed, there's literally yes. no restaurants to go to. No, that, that must be right. Um, I'm not a regular visitor to London apart from when Parliament's in session. Yeah. Um, because Parliament has made the decision that we should be there in person when, when this business transact um, to offer some kind of lead. No, exactly right. And let me ask you one final question, John, just about the Conservative Party in general. There's a lot of people out there uh, who are saying that Boris Johnson um, is not really acting like a Conservative Prime Minister, uh, that as much as we all know that he's a bit of a libertarian, you know, we've got what effectively seems to be a kind of socialist government at the moment, handing money out to people right, left and centre. Are you concerned that the Conservative Party is not, say, as conservative as it was when you first were a Member of Parliament? Well, I think we've got a, a leader who's been put into a crisis, not, not of his making, a global health crisis. Mm. And I, as someone who does believe we, we need to trust people and companies and free enterprise more and government less, I'm not comfortable with the huge range of government interventions, but mm. I accept they were necessary given the, the decision to lock the economy down. You do have to subsidise people and companies if you told them by law they can't work. Yes. I now am very keen to get back to something near and normal as quickly as possible, hence this and other conversations. Yes, I think we all we all are. I mean, you're back in Parliament next week, so um, what are you expecting, uh, or could you look ahead, say, a month from now, and say what we will be doing, if anything, differently? Well, I, I think what we will be doing is I think we, we trust we will be reviewing a successful return to school, which is going to, as I say, it makes a huge difference for hundreds of thousands of people. Um, and then we will, assuming the virus is still under control, we'll be saying, well, now we need to go a bit further. We need to get something more normal uh, in office life and business life. Mm. But, it, but it will be done at a pace which the individuals and businesses are happy with. It's not something the government can suddenly issue an ultimatum on. Mm. Um, I mean, would, would you be government... comfortable with, with offering some kind of inducement for people to come back to offices? Well, maybe. I mean, that's something they can look at. I mean, that they obviously the government looked at inducements to get people to eat lunch or um, go to a go to a restaurant yeah. on Monday to Wednesdays, and that that looks as if it's given quite a lot of business to those places and got people used to the idea that maybe it's safe to go and do that, which yeah. I think was the idea behind it. Yeah. They may well need to do it, but I, I think the my priority for the government uh, is to show us how to do it through through the civil service. Yeah. And I think if they can then establish a really good model and show that it is a lot better to have many more people back in the traditional offices, I think more businesses might then say, well, yes, that, that looks like a good idea. But I think it's very difficult for ministers to say this has got to happen if it's not even happening in the Treasury, yeah. where I believe we're still seeing... Um, sort of handful of people rather than 100% of the staff. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. John Redwood, thank you very much indeed. Conservative MP, of course, uh, for Wokingham, uh, agreeing with me that we need to have this conversation and we need to be thinking about how we get people back to work, not no, whether we do, but how we do, because I think the idea that we somehow never do uh, is not on the table. That should not be an option. How about this from uh, Pete, who says, since the end of March, my business travel has stopped, so no meetings in London and hence no support to the local pubs and restaurants. We've got to change and save their businesses. Well, absolutely right. You can't carry on the way things are 
because it will eventually lead to loads and loads of things no longer not only being viable, but just never reopening at all. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, it's been a while since I've spoken to Sebastian Gorka. I go on his show in the United States of America quite a bit, but this is the first time we've had him on here uh, for a while. He is, as I said, newly appointed member of the National Security Education Board. Uh, Let's say a very warm welcome. Sebastian, thank you very much for joining us. How are you? I am very well. Am I really talking to the uh, leader of the independent <laughs> republic of Mike Graham? Well, not only that, but Belinda De Lucy yesterday, uh, a, a former MEP for the Brexit Party, uh, had a fantastic um, portrait done of me in full sort of uh, regalia, military regalia. So I'm now kind of the generalissimo of the independent republic. And I've got that as my new Twitter picture. But but listen, far but more... Does it, but does it show you crushing planks? <laughs> I just need to know, are you crushing yes, planks? under Mike? my feet, absolutely, every single day. Many of them... <laughs> from the BBC, I have to say, who are getting closer and closer to oblivion as we speak. Now, listen, you were at the White House last night. What a fantastic setting. All of those flags. A great idea always for the president to show why he's the president, because he's actually in the White House. And what a contrast between that and Joe Biden in a mask. Uh, Yeah, hiding in his basement. Yeah. I mean, could you have more of a dichotomy? Between, between the President of the United States, first time in our history. People forget this. In 2016, for the first time in the history of America, we chose somebody who wasn't a member of the swamp. From George Washington to Barack Obama, every single president for 44 presidents was either a retired general or a former congressman or governor. In 2016, just like Brexit, the American people sent a message to the swamp saying enough is enough and we chose a non-politician to drain the swamp. As opposed to the other guy that the Democrats have chosen who is an old white man who's been in politics, Mike, hang on a second, just get ready for this, for 47 years. Yes. He is he's the epitome of the swamp. And that, and, and of course, he's hiding in his basement, Mike. Yeah. And he's achieved pretty much nothing in those 47 <laughs> years. As, as Donald said last night, here's a guy uh, who took the money from the unions for years and years and years, decades, uh, came all the way back to Washington with a big bag of money and then sold it all off uh, to the Chinese who took their jobs. Hang on a second, Mike. He did achieve quite a few things. So, so number one, uh, his son, Hunter Biden, who was kicked out of the Navy for being a, a cokehead, uh, when Bo- Biden was vice president to Obama, Hunter Biden flew with the vice president on Air Force Two to Beijing. Yeah. And after his daddy met with the communist premier of China, guess what? Hunter Biden landed a $1.4 billion, with a B, billion dollar deal with the National Bank of Communist China, uh, despite the fact that he didn't have any background in investing or any background in, in, in Asia. And his brother, Biden's brother, with no background in construction or building, when his brother was vice president, won a multi-million dollar contract for construction in Iraq. So, look, Biden's been great for Biden and his criminal clan. Well, of course, I mean, people would make the same accusation about Donald Trump, wouldn't they? After Steve Bannon got arrested last week, uh, he was one of many members of the former sort of Trump White House who have been in a little bit of trouble backwards and forwards with the law. Um, so, so I suppose I would have to point that out just for the purposes of clarity. You could, you could do that, but I actually look at the indictment. I know Steve Bannon. I've read the 23-page indictment, and it's really telling. Number one, uh, The FBI didn't want to touch this with a barge pole. It's the Southern District of New York, a a rabidly left-wing prosecutor that brought the charge, along with investigators from the post office. And the fact that all the asset forfeiture at the end of the charge sheet has to do with Brian Colfage, the head of this so-called charity called Build the Wall, and none of it references Steve Bannon, makes me think it's more of a political hit job than anything else. But we shall see. Well, certainly certainly the timing, you'd have to say, is a little bit suspicious, wouldn't you? You know, absolutely they, 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 68 days yeah away 68 from the days away now i mean i don't know whether you've been following uh, the amazing Meghan markle saga as it goes but she's obviously part of the major kind of hollywood push for people to vote for biden um, a man who is so lacking in ideas that he once stole some uh, in a speech by neil kinnock one of the least successful politicians in history in this country 
Yeah, I, I live down the road from Neil Kinnock in, in Ealing. And, you know, think about this. Biden was caught back in the 80s, Mike, in the 80s running for president. Yeah. And he gave a speech where he said, oh, when my dad came out of the coal mine, blah, blah, blah. Whole passages nicked from Neil Kinnock's mm. speech. And he had to cancel because of the plagiarism. He had to cancel his presidential campaign. How did people forget this? I mean, it's stunning. And that, now it's OK for him to run. I know. It's absolutely remarkable, isn't it? And what is wrong as well with this Democratic Party, uh, where you've got pictures now coming in from uh, outside of Jeff Bezos's house of people putting up a guillotine, right, to try and uh, apparently, um, you know, execute one of the most successful men in the history of America. And that what when I lived in America, America stood for success. It stood for entrepreneurship. It stood for, you know, come to this country, do the best that you can. We will embrace you. What's gone wrong? I'll tell you what's gone wrong. I, I write about it in my book, The War for America's Soul. This is the apotheosis of 70 years of ideological indoctrination. Conservatives like me, I grew up under Maggie Thatcher. Reagan was a hero to me. We let these crazies take over the schools yeah. and universities and Hollywood until you get to this point where they hate America. This is the problem. Yeah. Look, at, look at the story of, of Donald Trump, Mike. Six years ago, Everybody wanted to be Donald Trump. He's doing cameos in movies like Home Alone. All the rap singers are talking about how they want to be like the great Donald. And what, what's his big sin? Oh, he runs as a conservative and wins. And suddenly he's the devil incarnate. This is the insanity of mm. the left, which, look, has cities across America that they are running Democrat cities that are on fire. That tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, unless, of course, you're watching CNN, who don't seem to recognise <laughs> fires when they're actually burning right behind them. I mean, talk about, Mo talk about comical alley. I mean, what's happening? Mo mostly peaceful. <laughs> I mean, I, I miss Monty Python, but CNN comes a close second yeah. nowadays. Well, we had the BBC doing the same thing here. We had a Black Lives Matter march, which ended up with people throwing bottles at a policeman on a horse or a policewoman on a horse. The horse bolts, she gets knocked off the horse, ends up in hospital with a broken collarbone. They describe it as a mostly peaceful demonstration. Uh, black, why, are you having, why are you having Black Lives Matter marches in the UK? I, I grew up in the UK. Yeah. When I went to school, the bus driver was from Jamaica. My, my best mate, was his parents were Indian. I was surrounded by Polish families yeah. who'd come over during World War II. One of the most ethnically diverse countries in the world, like America. What the hell is going on? I know. Well, it's the same. I mean, you're absolutely, absolutely right. London, one of the most diverse cities in the world, where people come from all over the place. The same people who tell us that we have to be better at recognising minorities are the same people that tell us that we live in a racist country who are the same people that tell us we have to welcome these people coming illegally here in dinghies from France because they want to live here. They're not coming here because we're racist. They're coming here because we're not <laughs> racist. Right. And isn't it funny how all the people making the biggest noise are middle class and white? Of course. Isn't that interesting, Mike? Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's more white people on the Black Lives Matter march than <laughs> you've seen uh, in the history of, of Remainer marches. And also, funnily enough, they're all Remainers. You know, you don't have the Brexit divide there. You have other things that divide your uh, great country. But we have basically the Remainers uh, who didn't want to leave the European Union, now don't want to leave their house because they're frightened of getting uh, COVID-19 on the train, even though they're never going to get it. They're not frightened, however, to go on holiday. Um, and they also uh, want to take part in marches whenever they can, when Extinction Rebellion knock about, telling us that the world is going to end uh, in some giant fireball in 10 years' time. I mean, the world has gone completely bonkers, Sebastian. Let's be clear. There's a great link between our two uh, amazing countries. We have a man in office who is taking the fight to the unaccountable elite. And it's very, very close to what you guys did in the UK. There is no Donald Trump. There's no draining the swamp without 17 million Brits voting to leave the EU and stop the the crypto socialists mm. in Brussels from stealing your national identity. So look, there's, you know, without without Brexit, we don't have the Trump phenomenon. So these two things are very closely tied, Mike. Oh, they very much are. And also, you don't hear very much about the good things that Donald Trump has done. As he says, he's done more for the black community in the US of A uh, than Barack Obama did in eight years. Uh, he's also managed to somehow get Israel to be recognised by the yes. United Arab Emirates, which nobody's ever been able to do. You know, it's quite extraordinary how he doesn't get credit for the good stuff.
Well, of course not. I mean, you're living in an alternate universe if you're listening to the fake news industrial complex. Just look at, look at what, what he did in the first few years of office. Revitalized NATO, built the wall, crushed ISIS, lowest unemployment since 1969 before I was born, highest employment for Hispanic and black Americans in record keeping and on and on and on. And, and now, now we have to take him out of office. Why? Because he's not Joe Biden, who's not fixed a problem in 47 years. But now, now Joe Biden, sleepy, creepy, Beijing Biden is going to fix things he didn't fix for 47 years. Let's stick to the real world. Well, exactly right. But of course, as usual, Sebastian, the polls um, have got it wrong. They got it wrong four years ago. They'll get it wrong this year as well, no doubt. They've got Biden ahead uh, in the polls. Who are they asking? Can, can, look, put yourself, you've lived here, Mike, put yourself in the shoes of somebody who loves this country, voted for Donald Trump, is going to vote for him again, or somebody who's just come around, was a Democrat, wants to vote for the president. If a pollster rings you up, are you going to tell them in this age of cancel culture? I mean, ask Lawrence Fox. Are you right. going to tell them I'm voting for Donald Trump? Of course not. And here, here's a fascinating thing. Just a week ago, CNN, not exactly, you know, Donald Trump's favorite network. CNN did a poll where they found in the last couple of weeks, Donald Trump has closed the gap with Biden by 10 points, mm. by double digits. And you know what the embarrassing thing is? That happened after he named Kamala Harris as his vice president yes. on the Democrat ticket. I mean, that's a slap in the face, but it tells you identity politics doesn't work. Imagine, being, have you ever been picked for a job, Mike, because of your sexual your gender and your skin color, because no. that's what happened to Kamala Harris. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be disgusted if somebody said, "Hey, Mike, I like your skin color. I'm going to give you a job." Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I was going to say. I mean, that whole kind of um, you know obvious choice um, would be laughable in almost any other situation where you know Joe Biden is immediately hiring the person who was the most horrible and most excoriating to him in a debate when she basically told him he was worthless, useless, hopeless, and there was no point to his existence. Now she's his number two. <laughs> That's the left. A, a woman who <laughs> was one of the first people to drop out of the race because she got zero, and I mean zero delegates. Yeah. A, a woman who, who put... 1,500 black men in prison for smoking weed and then in a radio interview last year laughed about her smoking pot herself. Mm. I mean, what kind of cynicism is that? I know. That's the left. That's that's who we have to beat in 68 days' time. And how's that going to work between now and then? We're going to have some debates, I presume, if they can work out oh. how, how to do them? We, we don't know. Nancy Pelosi, in the last 24 hours, the Speaker of the House in Congress said, oh, I don't think, I don't think Joe should debate the president. Oh, uh, really? Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Why is that, Nancy? Is it because he can't remember who his wife is? He mixes <laughs> up his wife with his sister. Right. He thinks the Super Tuesday elections are on Thursday. Yeah. Is, it because, is it because he thinks China... He, he said on record, Mike, the rise of China is a good thing. Mm. A good thing. Yeah. Well, uh, there's no question that he would be destroyed by Donald Trump in a debate. I said last week, funnily enough, and, and it was only slightly with my tongue uh, in my cheek, that the voice that they put out there as Joe Biden's acceptance speech voice was the Joe <laughs> Biden voice of about 10 years ago. Not the one that you hear now, where he doesn't know where he is, where he doesn't know where he's standing, where he doesn't know who he's standing next to. Uh, that very thin kind of old man voice was suddenly replaced. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility that it was pre-recorded, is it? Not at all. I mean, look, look at what the left's done in the past when it comes to fake news. But what you, to your point, it's really interesting if, if, if your listeners are, are really want to see how dangerous things have become on the left. Watch a video of Biden now and watch a video of him 15 years ago when he was a senator. You, you see it right there. You see the dementia. You see the decline in cognitive capacity. This man is a shadow of himself. It's mm. ex exactly as the president said last night. I was sitting there on the South Lawn watching him give the speech. He is a Trojan horse. He is an empty, empty shell. And he's a Trojan horse for all the radicals, the extremists like AOC, like Bernie Sanders, who, by the way, another amazing thing, Bernie Sanders a man who honeymooned 
in the Soviet Union when it was the was the Soviet Union. Yeah. Have you have you have you ever thought of taking your well, honeymoon? In the a only the only texture? the only story that reminds me of Sebastian is Jeremy Corbyn who took Diane Abbott <laughs> on the back of a motorcycle to East Berlin uh, before the wall came down. Can you imagine what sort of a great time they must have had? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> leave me out of that one, please. Thank you very much. Yeah. So tell us about this new appointment you, that you've been made, uh, member of the National Security Education Board. That's uh, congratulations are in order. Cheers, thank you. Yeah, the president uh, nominated me and I was appointed two weeks ago. So he, uh, he's, uh, he's a very loyal guy and I appreciate that. So I, I served as strategist in his White House. Now I have my national radio show called America First Every Day, which you will be on later. I will. Today, Mike. That's true. And then, uh, and then he decided to, keep, you know, to recognize my work in, uh, in counterterrorism to make me a, a presidential appointee on the National Security Education Board, which makes sure that our colleges, our think tanks provide us the expertise we need for the intelligence community, for our military. Very excited to get back to work in the Trump administration. Great stuff. And any any danger for you, Sebastian, that Trump doesn't win? What does he need to do to make sure that he does? I think he doesn't need to do anything more than he's already doing because his the last four nights of the convention, I mean, stunning from the widow of that black police captain who was murdered by the rioters last night to, to that nun who spoke about, you know, 23 years in the army as a surgeon, then became a nun, and how we, we, we have the most pro-life president in the history of the United States. We have an amazing story to tell. The job is now upon us, like it was for you guys under Brexit. Everybody has to go out there and vote. Everybody has to get their uncle, their grandpa to the polling stations to vote in 68 days' time, because we really, you know, we've got a nation to save here again. Sebastian Gorka, brilliant to talk to you. Great to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Former strategist of President Trump, back in the administration now, uh, giving us the good news uh, that those of us who like Donald Trump and who think he's doing a pretty good job want to hear. That is, he's going to get another four years in 68 days' time. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.